stop comparing yourself. Comparison has been, I feel like, the biggest thief. We moved to Nashville mm. saying we will not be a nonprofit that will compare. We will be a nonprofit that is going to celebrate others. Instagram, social media, the moment you start comparing with everyone else's highlight reel, like you get into depression. It's like actually clinically shown. And so I think slowing down, trying like not to compare and just take the next step. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I usually begin the podcast sounding a little more pumped up, more excited about our conversations. And I am so excited for this conversation, but it's been a crazy week. If you are listening to this podcast when it airs or around the time that it airs, then we are less than one week out from the massacre that happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Nicholas Cruz opened up fire on his former classmates and teachers using an AR-15. 17 people are dead and a community, a city, a group of amazing humans have been torn to pieces over this. Now, I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to tell you what I think should be done or how you should think about this. There's a place for that and it's not on this podcast right now, maybe another time, but not now. However, I do have one thing to share with you, one thing that's on my mind today that I hope you can get. I hope you can capture what I want to communicate here. Marcus Aurelius said, waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be, be one. Again, he said, waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be, be one. You might find yourself too often thinking too deeply about what it means to be a good man, a good woman, how to do good in the world. And I get that, I've been there hesitating because it might not look right or you might fail, might not go the way you think it should go. Friends, less thinking, more doing. It's time to act. It's time to be bold. It's time to love those around you. It's time to be the fullest and best version of yourself. It's time to do the things that you've always dreamed of and haven't executed on because of fear, because of shame, because of what others might say about you. It's time to give a damn about the thing that you feel deep down inside of you. And I'm not just saying that, I mean that. And there's so much more to say, but again, this is not the time or the place. Waste no more time arguing about what a good man, a good woman should be, be one. And if you do want a little insight into what I've been thinking about this past week, just visit my Twitter feed, at Nick Lepar from last week. You will get a an earful, a mouthful, an eyeful, and you might not like me after that, but that's okay. It's all out there for the world to see. On a different note, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to Honduras in a couple of weeks with World Vision, with my friends at World Vision. As some of you may know, I grew up in Guatemala. I've spent collectively just under 15 years living and spending time in 30 plus countries around the world. After I flew the coop, as they say, I don't know if anyone says that, my parents moved to Honduras for five years before returning to the US, so I never lived there. But during the time that they lived there, I visited many times. I love it there. They're a beautiful, resilient people. And I can't wait to go there with my friends at World Vision. We're gonna visit some of the kiddos there. We have a few other projects we'll be engaged in. I don't wanna give away too much right now. I'll come back with a full report, but I hope you'll join in my excitement for this trip. I'll have a lot to chat about when I return. Make sure to follow me and Let's Give a Damn on social media, at Nick Lapara, at Let's Give a Damn everywhere. I'll be sharing as much as I can throughout the trip. Okay, now for my guests today. I'm so pumped to introduce you to Grace Tyson and Lauren Lancaster. 
co-founders of Songs Against Slavery. Both of them hail from Michigan and are now making a life here in Nashville. They are incredible. Seriously, I loved spending time with them and I can't wait to do it again. Songs Against Slavery is amazing. Super rad organization. They are doing their part to end human trafficking by creating benefit concerts and by fostering music and artist partnerships. It's pretty incredible. They've been doing it for several years. They have a big vision, big dreams for the future. They share a little bit about that in this conversation. I'm super pumped for you to hear it. Let's get right into it then. I'm Nick LaPara, and here's my conversation with Grace Tyson and Lauren Lancaster. Let's go. Today, I have Lauren and Grace from Songs Against Slavery. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us, Nick. Awesome. Well, as we get started, um, as always, I like to get some backstory, just some context, right? I have people on the show who give a damn about a number of things. And I'm always interested to find out why you do that. What are the things that shaped you to be the person you are today? Because those things directly influence conversations we had, people that were in our lives when we were younger shaped who we are today, right? The kinds of things we observe and think about. So uh, we'll start with you, Lauren. Give me some context for who you are and why you are the way you are today, people, places, things, just anything that comes to your mind. Don't even think too deeply about it. Just the things that stick out from birth until pre-Songs Against Slavery. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I am one of four kids, and Grace and I grew up in the same hometown. It's a really affluent area in Michigan, and um, my parents were really... They really pushed us to see how lucky we were growing up in that area and all the privileges that we had. And I think that um, sunk in more and more as I grew up. And I would go and volunteer and have the greatest joy when I was Mm. giving. And I just felt like, wow, I have so many opportunities. And there are countless people in this world who don't. And Mm. um I just felt like if I didn't use all these opportunities that I was born into, honestly, um, for the good of the world, that I would be wasting all of that influence and all of that luck that I was born into where I was born. Yeah. Was there a certain person or thing that happened that made you think that way? Or did you just, was it just your own observations? That's a good question. I don't know if it was a certain um, thing that happened. I think just observing really the feelings I got when I started to give. And Mm. I just felt like this is what I was made to do. This is when I have the most joy. And like I said, both of my parents um, really pushed on all of us kids that it was important to give and that we were so lucky and um, lots of people aren't. So um, I think that altogether really molded me into caring more and more. Yeah, that makes sense. Grace, what about you? Yeah. Um, so a little bit of similar story. I'm the youngest of five and my parents growing up, we did, um, house church and we always had like homeless people coming and Mm. just the outcast. And my parents were very passionate about inviting people who wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable even going into a church. And so just seeing that growing up and seeing my parents lead the way of teaching us how to give back. My dad is someone who has always taught us you know, with that, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm a very empathetic and compassionate person to the core. And Lauren can tell you that, like, I'm very sensitive. And so I think for me, it's just this like innate thing that 
it does. It brings me so much joy to give back, but also to whom much is given, much is expected. And so I think we both feel the same way that we grew up very, we just had a lot at our fingertips and to not use that, it does. It felt like a waste. And I think we both grew up in families that just taught us give back, give back, give back. So for me, it was a lot of watching my parents do that and then watching my siblings do that and then just trickling down to me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Super side note. Did you guys enjoy growing up in kind of medium to larger size families? I'm one of 12 kids. <laughs> oh, so wow. you don't have me beat, but yeah. four and five siblings is yes. still, that's big by today's standards. Was yeah. that enjoyable for you? Oh, loved it. I couldn't imagine having a smaller family. If it's chaos at all times, there's strong personalities at all times, but I also feel like you learn to have a voice because if you don't, you're not going to get heard. And so- yeah. Yeah, I would say the same. I cannot imagine um, having a smaller family. We, now that we're all grown up, we all live in different states. And Mm -hmm. um, when we get back together, I genuinely cannot wait to see my siblings. And we're all really close. We're all also very different, Mm. which is fun. Um, And I learn a lot from my siblings. And I'm about to get married. And I am praying that we have a big family too. That's awesome. (laughs) That's good. That's amazing. (laughs) So how did you, Michigan, right? Where in Michigan? We grew up in the Kalamazoo area, Southwest Michigan. So how did you take me on the journey from like Michigan to Nashville? We're in Nashville right now. How did that happen? Um, School or? no. No. So Grace and I went to high school together. And then we went to separate colleges. So Grace went to Hope College, which is a small Christian liberal arts school in Holland, Michigan. And I went to Michigan State. Um, So totally different atmospheres. Um, A little bit. But but perfect for our personalities and growth. And throughout um, our separate college experiences, we really uh, grew and we, I mean, we'll get more into this, but our nonprofit was really what kept drawing us back to Nashville. We actually came and visited here 10 times during undergrad. And on our 10th time, we looked for an apartment. So we would just come for a weekend, which seems crazy to me now with the amount of driving. Yeah. What is it that attracted you about Nashville? Honestly, it just felt like home. Like Hmm. since the first time I came here, I... Well, I got to visit Thistle Farms, which is one of the nonprofits we help, and they're incredible. But just sitting in the room with the women, it just felt like every time we drove to Nashville, it felt like we were coming home, Mm -hmm. which no other city to this day has. I mean, our hometown feels that way, but because we grew up there. Right. No other city feels like this atmosphere of everyone just cares. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs, but everyone's like very generous to donate their time or help you out. It doesn't feel so cutthroat. Um, And so I think for us, that really felt the perfect place to grow Songs Against Slavery. I experienced that as well. Uh, We just moved here two months ago. Oh, wow. But a year and a half ago, we thought we were moving here. I spent five months here without my family, seeing them once every couple of weeks, um, just trying to figure out if we wanted to be here or not. And I experienced that. I've never lived in the South. We're not sure we want to live in the South long term. It's It's different. It's different. It's different. And that's a three-hour conversation. Uh But yeah, I... People just rolled out the red carpet. Um, I've always lived, I'm a coast person or didn't live in the U.S. So when, we've, when I've lived here, it's been, we just moved from Tacoma and Seattle. Uh, we've lived just on coast mostly. And there's a different, that's a different conversation, a different mm-hmm. attitude. 
And yeah, it's especially among like creative entrepreneurial people, it's like hold things close to your chest. This right. is my thing. Right. You figure your way out. I'll figure my way out. And then yeah. I came here and everybody was like, who do you need to meet with? Yes. Like Even seriously, in the anybody industry. I know, yeah. you can. So within like months of being here, knowing just a few people, now I know a lot of people, but at that time, knowing a few people, it was like, yeah, who do you need to meet with? And within months, I was meeting some of the like the most influential people in all of Nashville yep. because somebody just shot me a text and said, hey, you need to meet with Nick. Yes. That sort of thing. And so I definitely experienced that. It is a great place to start projects that you don't know where it's going. Yes. Because you have people that are like, hey, I'll help you figure that out. Yeah. I mean, it's how we met. Hey, yeah. yeah. You need to meet these girls. And yeah, so exactly. It always exactly. happens that way. So you moved here for... Songs Against Slavery, or was that... Tell me the story about Songs Against Slavery. Yeah. So my freshman year at Hope, 2010, I was pre-med. And like I said, my dad had always said, do something you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. Wasn't loving pre-med. Thought I was going to. 90% of Hope goes in pre-med, probably 10% graduates it. Mm. So I came across an article my second semester on the internet that exposed this issue of sex trafficking but what really caught my attention was that it was talking about in Michigan, in the U.S., like in our backyard. And I was yeah. like, what? Like this happens That's not here? happening here, Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. So I kept researching it that semester and then came home and um, talked to Lauren. We were at dinner just catching up on our first year of college. And I'm a musician and was like, hey, this is what I learned. Would love to somehow use my music to fight this. I don't know what that looks like. And... I was like, well, let's do a benefit concert. And I am a total planner. I love planning. I love details. And so we drove straight from dinner um, to a bar and grill in our hometown. And our hometown isn't Kalamazoo. It's 20 minutes outside of Kalamazoo. It's called Richland, and it is about 6,000 people. And so we so had- super huge. Yeah, ginormous. Um, everyone knows everyone. And there's this tiny bar and grill that I worked at when I was- 15 and 16 doing like bossing tables and they had this barn in the back where they would hold events and I just went up um, to the manager and was like hey we want to do this benefit concert we don't know what we're doing do you have any open dates in August and he was like sure because I think he was just trying to fill spots sure. yeah yeah we need people in here <laughs> yeah so um right away uh we knew you know we're we were 19 years old at the time, and we were like, we are not the experts in this field. And so let's research who the experts are around us, and let's bring them in, and let's raise money for them and give them the stage. And so that first year, we brought in a safe house that was starting um, for girls ages 11 to 18 out of the um, who were trafficked in the U.S., and we were hoping to raise $1,000. At that time, we felt like that was... A yeah. lot of yeah. money. And um, we ended up raising $4,000 that first summer. Wow. And uh, so we said, well, maybe we'll do this one more time. And we prayed for double the amount to be raised. So we were hoping for $8,000 to be raised. We were going to give it a full year of planning this time. And we brought in Steve Mokler, uh, who's oh, yeah. here in Nashville and yeah. still a good Love friend. Steve. He's great. And we ended up raising $8,000, almost to a T. Um, what you asked for. What, what we asked wanted. for, yeah. yeah. And it was after that show that everyone kept asking us, 
how do we get involved? When's your next show? And both Grace and I looked at each other and we were like, um, we're, we're nothing. Like we're just trying to graduate college. And, (laughs) but we were like, well, maybe we should be doing something, um, more with this. Maybe this could go somewhere. So we had a week left before heading into our junior year. And we literally sat on my parents' bed and like researched what is a nonprofit? How do you become a nonprofit? Like we had no idea. You need a board, a lawyer, a startup fee. And we were like, okay. So we brain, we're like, if this is what we're supposed to do, it's got to happen in this week because Lauren's going to go to Michigan State. I'm going to go to Hope. It's a lot harder to, you know, to communicate. Yeah. And within a week, we had a family who donated our startup fee, a board of directors of people our parents' age, and a lawyer who started up our nonprofit for free who's That's still amazing. on our board today. So we were like, oh my gosh, we're doing this. Like, Yeah, there's no excuse not to anymore. Right, like, like, all the barriers are Not gone. only just to graduate college, now we have a nonprofit that we have to figure out how to run and make a business. So our model was we would research a nonprofit in the state that we wanted to do a show in, and we would probably research the top like 5% of the ones who are doing the best work, yeah. choose them and throw them a concert. We bring in the artists, we take all the cost on, and 80% of the profits stay local, and we would take 20%, as well as 100% of donations that night from the audience went straight to that nonprofit. And so our heart was these so nonprofits- So 20% was to cover your costs yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so our heart was, you know, these nonprofits work so hard in the trenches with survivors that just come, we'll give you a stage, we'll give you 10 minutes to talk about what you do in your own hometown and get people involved with the hope Mm. of like, not only just like inspiring people to join the fight, but to give them a break from fundraising because everybody knows fundraising is not easy. So I think for us, the music part of it was, has been so cool over the last six years, seven years, because it makes the environment this lighthearted environment versus being like, this is sex trafficking and now, you know, like really yeah, dark. Very heavy, very yeah, quickly. Yeah. And so we would sandwich like an opener, then talk about trafficking with and end with a headliner. And it's just been so cool to see even how the artists would be so inspired by what they were hearing. They would change their whole set or like play songs that they had never even played before, but they felt like it was more hope filled. So they, it was just like a really cool thing for us to see. Not only was it impacting the audience, it was impacting musicians as well. So what's been the scope of the work that you guys have done? Like what, what has happened Mm -hmm. over the course of how many years, how long has it been now? Yeah, it's been, um, we started in 2011 and we became a 501c3 official nonprofit in 2014. So, uh, we, we have done 31 concerts so far, cool. and um, we've raised a little over $370,000 um, to go towards the fight against sex trafficking in the U.S., and we've gotten to work in, I mean, 10 different states with 14 different nonprofits, and we've learned so much um, just by meeting these amazing people and I mean, the learning curve on starting a business is so steep. Um, So we've learned so much about ourselves. But yeah, we're just so grateful to be in this space. I think both of us would say that this cause has so deeply touched us because I don't think there's anything worse that could happen to someone on this earth. Like to be sexually trafficked is 
so the trauma there is just so complex and the problem is so hidden still. Yeah. And um, so I don't think there's anything else I would rather be fighting against in this world. We're going to talk about sex trafficking here in a minute, a little bit, just a little bit more. But Grace, you had mentioned that, and either of you can answer this. You had mentioned that your how you're doing songs against slavery is pivoting a little bit, or you guys have changed the model. What 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 does that look like now? Or yeah. if you can talk about it, yeah. So this summer we just were going through an evaluation with our board of you know our heart in being a nonprofit was we never wanted to reinvent the wheel. If we weren't making a huge impact, we shouldn't exist. Yeah. You know, because everyone wants to start a nonprofit, right? And if the model isn't working, we change it. And so that 20% for us, it wasn't enough to cover cost and be sustainable. And that was the, like the five-year plan. So what we did was we started doing a bunch of research and we came up, well, I shouldn't say came up, but a lot of people who do peer-to-peer fundraising is like taking off right now. And so we yeah. came up with this campaign called Step Into Their Shoes in, in the fall in we had people across the nation walking while fundraising for Thistle Farms. And so because Thistle Farms is now national, and you know, they have their products yeah. all over the place, and they're helping women survivors get off the streets, get into rehab, and get a job. And so we ended up having over 180 people sign up nationwide, and we ended up raising $30,000 just in the month of October for Thistle Farms, which was more than we'd ever raised at a concert. That's amazing. So we were like, Okay, yeah. This is so, a thing. Yeah, like it's time to pivot a little bit. And it was cool because we got to send people playlists to walk through and stories of the survivors that they were walking with. And our whole thing was we're walking for their freedom instead of focusing on the negative of trafficking. Mm. Let's focus on the freedom of, you know, Brenda's walking towards trying to buy her first house and Gigi's walking towards trying to get a car and that kind of thing. And so that's sort of where we started to pivot. Um, we do have a, a lot of changes coming up, which we can't really talk about right now, but it, it's really exciting. And I yeah. think what's going to happen next is going to take SAS to the next level, um, which is also, you know, like Lauren said, when you run a business, you learn like 20,000 jobs and you also learn what doesn't work. Yeah. And so we've always wanted to be a flexible nonprofit that is quick to pivot if something isn't working. Yeah, that's really good. Sex trafficking trying to figure out where we want to go here because there's a lot to say and you have already said a little bit about it but it's like in a weird way it's kind of a an easy bandwagon to get on right because everyone's talking about it um but it's painful and hard as hell to talk about and just like very quickly it becomes not a fun bad wagon because you realize that real lives are at stake and real people you know women and men boys and girls are involved in this thing so why not do something easier on your mind, your heart, your body, your conscience? Like, because that's not easy. Like the toll that being involved in humanitarian social good work over the last 20 years for me has been like catastrophic. I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm, tr I'm trying different angles at tackling these issues that I care about, but it's not easy. Like my empathy is also very, like very high and I feel so deeply when I see somebody in pain or somebody that's hurting. I can't like rid myself of it. Not that other people can, but I, I really, really can't. And it's taken a huge toll on my body and my family. And so why? Why do it? Why are you putting yourself through this? To speak to what you're talking about, I think we are just now learning about um, the necessity of rest in yeah. this work yeah, talk um, about and self-care. Sure. And I'll let Grace talk um, to that 
in a second. But I mean, like I said, I don't think there is something worse that could happen to a person on this earth. And even though it is so heavy, um, like we said earlier, we grew up with so much privilege and we have education that so much of the world wasn't able to get through a college education. And we have families that support us. And I think through our privileges, we've been able to see, and really just through like the support that we have, we've been able to do this. We do not do this alone. And um, the only reason that we've been able to succeed in any way that we have, both personally and as a business, is because of the people who are around us. And we are constantly asking for help and constantly asking questions. And we try to surround ourselves with a lot of people who are smarter than us. Mm. And I think that's the only reason we can work in this issue. Also, I think that from the first time we met survivors, mm. I knew that I would never be able to really leave this space. Even if my career changes one day, I mean, I have learned so much from these survivors. On the other side of tragedy, they have shown me so much joy yeah. and hope. Isn't that the craziest thing, right? You expect the them to be just like destroyed thing. and distraught, oh my gosh. right? Because of what's happened to them. Oh my gosh. And it's the opposite most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time you get somebody who's like just really elated to be free and there's joy and there's happiness and yeah, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's not all the time and it's definitely not right away, but right. but to see right. that there is hope, I get to learn from these people every day and that is an honor, honestly. And I'm so lucky to be in this space, even though it is really hard and heavy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Grace, because I, I I think where, why she said that you need to talk about it is because I, I read this article the other day about this chronic pain that you've dealt with for years, and that's hard. That's really hard shit. It really, really is. <laughs> yeah. So talk about that, and then yeah. in that in that piece that you did, I saw the talk about like rest and like just just turning stuff off for a while and all that. What what are you learning in, in terms of that? And tell us your journey there. Yeah. So, I mean, in the process of SAS starting at the same time, um, I had chronic back pain. And throughout our seven-year journey, I've gone through two major back surgeries and I've had chronic nerve pain, back pain 24-7 for seven years. And so for me, learning what it feels like to live with pain inside my body it just, it is, it takes your empathy level to a whole different level. And I think for me working in this space, it was like, I can't relate to what someone has gone through with sexual abuse, but I can relate to what it feels like to live with so much pain in your body and have to rely on others. And I mean, for me, like have faith and have hope in what Lauren said about see if these survivors can find joy and freedom, I can find joy and freedom. Mm. And a lot of this, um, has been a ton of self-care. I mean, I can't make it through a day right now without having to lay down or having to, you know, go do exercises or take a break. And so we've both had to learn. We have a spiritual mentor who's over us, who's helped, who's taught us so much about rest and the importance of rest. But self, like if we're not doing okay, our work's not going to yeah. do okay and we're not going to help. So much will suffer. If yeah, you don't. yeah. Yeah. And so I've just learned a lot about like my biggest heroes not only are these survivors, but are people who walk through pain ahead of me and show me that you can still live a life and have pain. You can still find joy and have pain. S somehow they coexist in this crazy, it's like not either or, it's an and. And that's really what I've learned. 
That's super helpful. Um, like the pain even today, like it's still, it's <laughs> yeah. still every day. Yep. Every day. Um, my last surgery was this past March. And so mm. it was a pretty big back surgery and you know, they don't promise after two back surgeries, they say you're not going to be pain free. You know, there's yeah. not really a, it's pretty rare. So it's just learning how to manage it and yeah. it's learning how to say no and how to say the best yes. And that's really hard because I have to say no to a lot of awesome things that come my way, but realizing that like if my body's not okay, my mind's not okay. And it's, it's all, you know, it's all encompassing to our job. That's really helpful advice. I think so many people, especially our age, I think I'm older than you guys, but like just our age, so millennials, like there's so much work to be done. Yes. There's so many terrible things happening. Yeah. And I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've been there more times than I've not been there where I'm just like, no, I've got to like, I've got to do this now. I've got to go. I've got to participate. I've got to at the expense of my own mental and physical well-being. And what I don't realize, what I didn't realize and sometimes still don't realize is that if I don't steady myself, right? Because I want to do this for, I don't know about you two, but I want to do this till, you know, hopefully Elon Musk figures out how we can live till 150. And so like, I want to do this to 150. Like I do, like I expect to live, you know, I could die tomorrow on the way home, get into a car wreck, but like I expect to live a long life and I want to keep doing this all the way to the end. I want to keep helping people. And to, to really realize that if I don't steady myself and if I don't prepare myself for the long haul, yeah, the marathon, then I won't be, mm-hmm. I won't be there. I'll do this like sprint now and, you know, maybe, you know, have some like really immediate impact, but then I fizzle out and I'm just like, yeah, just burnt out and dead and not able to do it from, you know, X age on 40, 45 on. And that's just not something that I want to do. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That self-care is super, super important. Well, and I think too, we've always said, if we just help one person with SAS, if SAS was just for one person, it was worth it all. I think as millennials, we have the mindset of like, we got to save the whole world. When it's like to the core trafficking happens because we don't value people. And if you just go out through your day and look at someone in the eyes and smile at them or say hello, like that's valuing someone. That's that's making them a person, not an object. And I think that is like the number one thing we've learned is just value people. That's so easy. You don't have to have money yeah. to do that. You don't have to have this crazy job. You could work in corporate and still learn how to be like a incredible human by valuing others. That's great advice. So let's, let's spend the next couple of minutes giving advice, right? The people listening to this podcast are, we have some, older people listening, 50s and 60s, and we have some young teenagers and kids listening, but it's mostly 18 to 35, uh, 65% women, 35% men, you know, that normal like demographic of people that are usually interested in this kind of thing. What advice based on what you two have learned, we'll start with Lauren, then go to Grace, give just a few pieces of wisdom, advice, things that you've learned, anything, I'm not aiming for anything, just something that pops in your head or one or two things that pop in your head. How can you help someone that is listening saying, I want to do this. Uh, I went to school for something that I don't want to do, or I really have a desire to impact this space or this people or this thing. Uh, but I don't know where to start. Like you two, you started this thing. You didn't even know what a nonprofit was or how to start one or what you needed. That's most people. They just don't know what goes into it. So yeah. What advice do you have for 
that person out there that's listening? First of all, for anyone who's like, I'm in school for something that I don't want to do, or I got a degree in something I don't care about anymore. We both do not have degrees in this or formal education in this. I am an elementary school teacher by training and Grace went to school for psychology and women's studies. And so that is not something that's going to stop you. Um, and secondly, I would say we get a lot of people who ask us um, or tell us that they want to start a nonprofit. And I think that's awesome. And I think that if you are being, if you feel like you're being called to do that, then you should do a lot of research and yeah. um, really ask a ton of questions. And if in the space of trafficking, I hear a lot of times, you know, I want to start a safe house. And that is so great. And those are needed. But I would please, please, please urge you, go work in a safe house first. Yeah, 100%. Um, go volunteer for a safe house. And if people are already doing what you want to do, go help them. Um, there's no reason to start up a billion different nonprofits. The only reason we started SAS is because when we started, there was nothing like that. And um, so I would say, you know, really do your research and learn what other people are doing in whatever space um, you want to work in and go and volunteer and help them. So that's, that's one thing that I would say for people who are thinking about starting or don't know where to begin. No, that's super huge advice. And it's something that I think millennials fail to do super well. Rain Wilson was on my podcast last year and he said he gave one of the best pieces of advice from a person who has super well known, started all these things, very involved in nonprofit philanthropic work. He said, pick one thing. Yes. Pick one thing. <laughs> Don't do 50 things or 49 <laughs> things or 36 things. One thing. Yeah. And learn about it. So start there. And I think that was one key thing that you said was like, do your research, learn about it, be a student long before you're a teacher on X subject. Pick one thing, learn about it super deeply, and then act. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. think then that person and you two are evidence of that is like, you did the research, you did the homework, you didn't like just jump into it and you just tried it out. Like, let's go to this bar and grill. Let's try it. Oh, we raised some money. That's cool. <laughs> let's try it again. Instead of like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna, by 2020, we're gonna see all sex slavery gone. Like, you know, you can right. make these unrealistic. Right, yeah. So and I think that's super helpful. And I think, I think we always um, urge people that the educated response is the, the best response. And people um, who are on the other side of your services in no matter what space you're in, they deserve excellence and they deserve the educated response. And so we can't do that unless we're educating ourselves. And we still see ourselves as students after seven years. And I, we always will That's for awesome. the rest of our lives. We are, like I said earlier, we are always asking for advice and always asking for help. And so, yeah, I, I hope that we're always students and I would urge anyone to become a student in what they want to help in. Awesome. Grace, what do you got? I would say slow down. Mm. Like truly most people's careers don't flourish into their late 30s, 40s. So and for good. some reason, so millennials, we, we want to figure we it out at 21 and a half. Yeah. And I mean, I've talked to college students recently where I'm just like, the biggest advice I could give you right now is just enjoy it. Like yeah. stop worrying about what's, it's all going to fall into place. And with that, like 
stop comparing yourself. Comparison has been, I feel like the biggest thief. And we, we moved to Nashville mm. saying we will not be a nonprofit that will compare. We will be a nonprofit that is going to celebrate others. Mm-hmm. And that is what we've hold on to because Instagram, social media, the moment you start comparing with everyone else's highlight reel, like you get into depression. It's like actually clinically shown. And so yeah. I think slowing down, trying like not to compare and just take the next step. Like that is what we did. It, SAS is here because we just took one next step. It didn't have to be a big step. It was going to the bank, opening a bank account, yeah, more research. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be these like grandiose big measures of action. Just do something small. Yeah. I mean, that's very evident in even your model, mm-hmm. right? You didn't try to go start your own safe house, right. right? No, you're like, you're raising money literally to give it away to other organizations. And yeah. so there is that like very evident like celebration of what Thistle Farms. Yeah. And I saw you guys did something with Human Trafficking Institute. I mm-hmm. had John Richmond uh, on the podcast we a few weeks. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> um, I really want to be BFFs with John. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's very evident in like, no, we're actually like we're raising money to then channel it into other yeah. organizations. Well, and you need to find the need. I think so many times people want to do what's already been done. Yeah. If that's the case, join their wagon. Yeah. yeah. Like, fill a need that's actually a gap. But if not, like that was our whole thing is we don't want to take up space in this if we're not actually making a difference. So what's the dream? If you could snap your fingers or rub the genie lamp and you know, your wildest SAS dreams were to come true, like what, what would that look like? What, like, what are, let's just look at like the 10, 15, 20 year plan. Like what does that look like? Right now, more than ever before, that's, unknown to us. Like we said, we're going through some major changes right now and we're about to change literally everything. Um, and we can't totally talk about it yet. And I wish we could, and hopefully we'll update you for those of you listening. Stay tuned. Yeah. Follow the the Instagram and the social media. Yeah. And that's not just a plug. We try to be really transparent with anyone who, um, is interested in our work and, so it's really weird that we can't right now. But ultimately, I think like you said, um, and I'll just, I mean, I think I definitely speak for both of us when I say this, but we want to be doing this work till we die. Like, like uh, I think our ultimate dream is we don't have a job anymore because trafficking is done. Yeah. And so it's like, that is like the ultimate dream. And both of us, I think, will always be working in the space no matter what. Like she said, no matter what other things, and like I do music on the side, I'm also healing from chronic pain, but no matter what, our foot will always be within this space because it is a huge problem and the ultimate dream is to end it. Yeah. And people like John and these incredible nonprofits, they are working really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's been a joy for us to, the ultimate dream is just to keep giving back as much as possible. Yeah. I'm doing an interview in like an hour with... Uh, one of the directors at IJM. Oh yeah. Um, again, just a, it's a different different avenue of getting oh, that work done. Yeah. Um, and they're doing incredible they're so work. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I think it is very possible that in our lifetimes we could see this. I mean, eradicated is a very loose word because there'll mm-hmm. always be evil people doing evil things. Mm-hmm. And even if you were to eradicate it today, someone will come up with some like fucked up thing tomorrow that they, right. you know, like right. it's never totally going to go away. Right. But. We can see we it. We can lessen it. We can lessen it. We can see the impact in our lifetime. And I'm very excited that you both are committed to that. Oh, yeah. Um, so before <laughs> before we get to the last couple questions, Lauren, you can take the mic because um, you'll have a couple extra seconds 
because Lauren's going to go first on this very last question. But before I do that, <laughs> I want to honor you both. I want to just take a moment to honor the work that you're doing. You two could be doing many other things, probably making a lot more money. Um, just a lot more like, you don't have to think about these things, right? You, get, you could be doing your, maybe not even a lot more money, but like if you're a teacher, like you get off and you go shut it down and the kids go home and you, you just put it away, right? Or what, you know, whatever you would be doing, music or whatever, it just, you don't have to think about these things, right? You could be putting them off and yet you're putting them on. And so I want to honor the great work that you're doing and encourage you. And we here at Let's Give a Damn are cheerleading you Thank as you're you. doing it. Uh, let us know how we can help. But I definitely want to just point that out and just say, like, we're encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by that and want to see you continue doing that. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much. Yeah. That means a lot. No, absolutely. Uh, okay, so last big question before we get to a couple smaller ones. Someday you will die. Hopefully it's a long, long time from now. But um, the hypothetical part of the scenario is that I'm going to be giving your eulogy. Um, for some reason, I've been chosen to do that. And so you have uh, this long, happy life full of, you know, giving a damn about through songs against slavery and other ways. And so this packed room, huge room full of all the people you've helped and your family and your friends and um, colleagues, they're all there to both honor and mourn your life. And again, for some reason, I'm giving you eulogy. <laughs> what do you hope that I'll say on that day? Like, this is it, right? This is, I'm kind of like speaking your legacy over your life as you go away and as, you know, inevitably people begin to kind of forget stuff, but some of the legacy lives on. What is that legacy that lives on? What do you hope that I'll say on that day about your life? Wow. This is a really good question. It's the question. I'm jealous she gets, she gets to go second. It's okay. Oh, wow. Um, I think that ultimately for me, the most important thing is that I reflect God's love to the world mm. and that I represent him well. Like ultimately at the core of me, I am not doing this for any accolades, for any like, I mean, am I a normal person and do I get puffed up sometimes? Totally. Like I will be honest to struggle with pride sometimes. But like at the core of me, the reason why I'm doing this is because of what God has done in me. And I ultimately like only ever want to reflect him. And I hope that you would say that she cared and she cared because God loved her first. And, and that's really it. Like ultimately this, this is not about me and my work. This is about him and what he's doing in me. And so that's the core of me and what I hope you would say. It's a good legacy. Can I just like ditto that? <laughs> Ditto. Ditto. No. That's all. That's all. I'll get up that's in this hypothetical scenario. Ditto. It's just ditto. Ditto, Lauren. Well, I was I was born a day after her. So maybe this is we'll true. I yeah, we're a day apart. You're like a day apart. You guys were destined. Older. I know. I know. And to work we and were, do all we the were. stuff together. We definitely were. I would say, with that, in doing it for the same reasons that I or that she lived with intentionality and made every single person that she came in contact with known. I think for me that is so important to, I feel most loved when I feel known and I really hope that every person I, that I come in contact with in my life, they feel known and they feel loved because I was loved first. Mm -hmm. And also I think having chronic pain and Lord, please one day hopefully I'll be healed, but that I learned how to keep fighting mm -hmm. and I learned how to be resilient and help other people in their pain. Mm. Can I just steal the mic and say she does this so well? Like she mm. 
has taught me so much about valuing people in front of us and in front of her. And I mean, we live next door to an elderly man and she would go over and watch wrestling with him just so that he felt known and listened to and cared about. And sometimes they didn't even talk. They would just watch wrestling, which Grace could care less about. But she does this so well. This is the core of her and she lives it out today and every day. Well, it's about people. Like I, I know, that, like it's so cliche to say that, but it is. It's about people. Like screw the toys, screw the stuff, screw the degrees on the walls. So, like all of that doesn't matter. Nobody gets to the end of their life and is like, "Hell yeah, I had three Lamborghinis and four houses, and like I'm a whatever a double P." Nobody says that. I have many books that I hope to write someday, but one of them is I want to kind of document the last words of dying people, like both people that ended well and people that ended poorly, right? So find out like what people that lived their life well, like you two at the end of your lives, like what what are you saying on your deathbed? Are you like super stoked and like super jazzed and like I did it well, like I did it well, not perfectly, but well. And then I want to document people that flaunt and flash all their stuff. Like what do they have at the end? Like they're not happy. It's clearly documented that money and stuff doesn't make you any happier. You're still just as empty at the end of the day if you don't have the relationships and the people and the ways that you're giving back and stuff. So uh, it has to be about that. It has to be about that. Okay, last question. Uh, This is your time to like plug anything or tell people what you want them to go look at or see. Is there any like video or website or social media stuff? Like what, what do you want them to go look at as we're wrapping up here? Yeah. So we're Songs Against Slavery on Instagram and um, that's where you'll find most of our updates. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and our website is songsagainstslavery.org. I would urge you to not only look at what we're doing, but we work with amazing partners around the country and we really want people to get involved Mm. where they live or at least be aware of what is around them um, so that if they see something or if they just want to volunteer or they want to give money if they're able, um, they can do that right in their backyard. And so I would urge you to check out our partners as well. If someone is in like, uh, whatever, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, or <laughs> Columbus, Ohio, and they want to do one of these, what does that look like? Can they can they request one, or how does that happen? So, I mean, I um, guess they can just go do their own version of it, but if they wanted to partner with Songs in Slavery yeah. to put one of these on, how does that? Yeah, so we've had that a lot. And um, so nonprofits sometimes come to us and ask us to do shows and you can do that through our website. You can email info at songsagainstslavery.org and we'll get back to you um, on what that looks like. Nonprofits go through an application with us. Churches have put on shows. Schools have put on shows with us. So definitely you can email us and we will talk about next steps that way. Great. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast today. This was super, super fun. And I look forward to keeping in touch. You are inspiring us, so thank you. Oh Thanks well, for your kind I don't know words. how or why, but you're welcome. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really glad to do this, and I'm glad you were here for it. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks so much for joining Grace, Lauren, and me today, friends. I learned so much from my time with them. I hope you did too. You can find links, resources, and show notes for this conversation and all the others I've had at shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. That's shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. You can also find other ways to join in on what we're doing by going to letsgiveadam.com. Either way, you'll get to both places. Make sure to visit them at songsagainstslavery.org. Also, 
donate if you can. They both depend on donations and collaborations and partnerships so that they can do what they're doing. And I would love for some of the Let's Give a Damn family to shower them with some generosity. And maybe you have an idea for a show they should do or host. Hit them up on social media. I know they'd love to hear from you. Friends, I truly thank you for joining me week after week after week to listen to these stories and learn from these amazing humans. I hope you'll continue to join me and I hope you'll tell at least one person this week about this podcast conversation. The more the merrier. We'd love to have more people join us in what we're doing. I love you all. Until next time, keep giving a damn, my friends. Bye.